let's get agreement that this is a strategic priority. That area of alignment and synergy can be very Looking important. The future, we're committed to expand valuation. time, there's still progress that needs to be made. This is Healthcare Strategies. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. My name is Kelsey Waddell, and I am the Senior Editor of Healthpayer Intelligence and the Multimedia Manager for Extelligent Healthcare Media. We have the honor of having Eva Matuszewski with us today. Eva is the Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder of MedNet One Health Solutions. MedNet One Health Solutions has been in the business of fusing behavioral and physical health care and in the business of value-based care for a long time. So Eva is here today to share with us why that fusion is essential and not just an optional add-on to value-based care strategy. So Eva, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's really an honor to be a part of this production. Great. Well, first off, it would be great if you could start out by telling us a little bit about MedNet One Health Solutions. So the organization is over four decades old. We started Medical Network One with six physicians and with 67 patients. And the primary goal going back those 40 years was simply to contract with managed care organizations. And I have to also include the fact that the organization was created by immigrant physicians who had very long last names, who actually either completed their training in Europe or in the Middle East, and in many instances came to America and went through the entire process of recertifying their particular specialty. So we found that relationship to be really intriguing because many of them had long last names but spoke fluent English and continued to have difficulty recruiting patients or identifying patients. So as we began to mature as an organization, we moved into what we would call a healthcare delivery system at the turn of the century, and that would be 20th to the 21st century, not 19th to the 20th. We discovered that there were some real significant trends in chronic illness. And we created a chronic illness travel team that would go from practice to practice to provide multidisciplinary teams to physicians and to the patients within their practices. And we quickly discovered the missing link and that missing link was having a behavior health specialist on the team, which is how we began to really hone in on the necessity of really having a true multidisciplinary team. Mm, excellent. Given your company's model, it seems that you'd view integration of behavioral and physical health care as pretty key to value-based care. And it seems like MedNet One Health Solutions has staked quite a lot on value-based care. So how would you characterize the relationship between behavioral and physical health care integration and value-based care strategy for payers and healthcare organizations? It's really obvious that having behavior health and physical health in one practice or in the four walls of a practice is crucial because not every condition that requires care requires only physical care. And as I step back and think of my own past year, for example, and I'll share this because I found it to be very challenging and very difficult. I had a suicide in my family. I needed to talk to someone. I didn't really have a physical problem. I couldn't get in to see a behavior health specialist because they're so packed with patients. But I went to my primary care physician 
one of our own medical network, one primary care physicians. And he said to me, hey, hang on just a second. You know, we've got this behavior health person that's in the practice here who will come and talk to you. So that warm handoff was so crucial because my primary care physician has been my physician for over 20 years. And now that primary care physician has a behavior health specialist who came in, got that warm hand up, and spent the next half hour talking to me about what I needed. I needed solace. I needed more than what's readily available. So to me, any practice that is new or any practice that's beginning to move into value-based contracting, it's crucial for that organization or that practice to begin to investigate the best way in which to either collaborate with the behavior health specialist in which to either integrate that behavior health specialist or have a mechanism in place where there will be access to one by their patient population. Mm, yeah, wow. I mean, that's so clear, the integration that exists already within a, a single person. And you would think that we would have figured that out, but it seems like this is still something that we're slowly kind of moving towards. And so I'd love to hear about the evolution for MedNet One Health Solutions, about how you moved in that direction, if this was something that you know from the beginning was part of it or something that you've had to work towards. Where did the organization start out with its plans for integration? And then how did it get to this point you just shared about your own experience and seeing that integration in play. I have to give a lot of credit to our medical director, Dr. Yochas. When he had first entered into practice many, many years ago, he reached out to a series of behavior health folks to come into his practice to be available because we already saw carve-outs. We were seeing patients and we were seeing young people that didn't have access to a behavior health specialist. And sometimes it took months to get in to see someone, especially if you were not in crisis mode. So the beauty of it was in that practice, there was a pediatric psychiatrist, there was an adult behavior health specialist, and there were other subspecialties that actually were within those walls of that practice. And what we began to see with that type of work is the fact that there was lower no-show rates. Patients preparing to see a medical person would be sitting in the same waiting room that they were sitting in preparing to see a behavior health person. So the stigma of where are we sitting and who are we seeing was pretty much out the window very quickly because I may have had a cold and the person next to me could have had an issue with depression and yet we're sitting together having a conversation, but we're seeing two different specialists basically. And that really began to fashion our work for the next decade and even two decades with the onset of more carve-outs and the onset of call that 800 number, we really began to see the need for integrating behavior health into our own organization. The problem that we would run into were the co-pays. If both clinicians were seeing a patient at the same time and they had a co-payment, I had a behavior health person that was collecting the co-payment, and then I had a primary care physician that was collecting that co-payment as well. That was a huge challenge. And in many instances, what we tried to do is mitigate it by not collecting that co-payment for the behavior health person, since at that time already, that individual was an employee of Medical Network One. In Medical Network One, the majority of our 
behavioral health clinicians are actually our employees. And we've created our own policies and procedures to meet the needs of the patients and to meet the needs of expanding our behavior health approach in primary care. That's a really interesting point that right up front, one of the biggest problems was the payment. Obviously, on a macro scale right now, that's been a huge part of the conversation. There's a lot of tension over how behavioral health care specialists get reimbursed and how to fit them into this. And then when you try to fuse the two, I'm sure it expounds on what's already there. Can you talk a little bit more about how your payment model works, You know why you chose to go that road? You've sort of touched on that, but I'd love to hear more about that. I would like to, first of all, acknowledge the patient-centered medical home activity in the state of Michigan that was funded and really promoted by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Michigan. They have a phenomenal program called Value Partnerships, the PEACHA program, and the Physician Group Incentive Program uh, provided funding to physician organizations, groups like ours, without having any strings attached to it. We were not told you can only use X amount of dollars for this Y service. We were given funding and we were and we were told whatever you see working in your organization and however you see this money offsetting the needs of the patients, go for it. So we began doing something very unique. We created an all-patient, all-payer model which means we didn't care whether you had no insurance. We didn't care whether you had insurance X or Y. Everybody had the same access point to that clinician and to that primary care physician. And in many instances, those payers really benefited by the financial support that was being provided by Blue Cross in Michigan. So to this day, my entire Medical Network One's entire care team component sees anyone that needs to be seen. If there isn't payment made by that payer, we will go after that payer by simply saying, because of the work we're doing, the ED admission or the ED use of that patient has decreased by X. The readmission rate has decreased by X. The urgent care use has decreased by X. So don't you think it's logical for you to be paying for the services that we are providing? And what we've instituted is just a definite approach by our coders and billers that are able to manipulate and pull that data in to show how having that integrated model in a practice does really impact outcomes. Yeah, it sounds like being able to provide the data is very, very essential. Can you talk a little bit about what other strategies would you recommend to organizations that are looking to fuse behavioral and physical health under a value-based care model? What other recommendations would you offer or insights would you give to them? I would highly recommend that they do an environmental scan of their community. Hmm. There are community-based organizations that would gladly interface with the medical side. We've usually put them on the back burner because In many instances, one does not understand or one does not recognize the significance of those community behavior health organizations, community mental health organizations, and having a relationship with them really makes sense. Also, learning a little bit more about the certified community behavior health clinics, reaching out to them and saying, hey, I'm a primary care practice or I'm a group practice. I'm wondering how we might be able to better have a relationship than we have in the past. Right now, our biggest challenge is interoperability. 
I can't get medical records. And when I'm using the term I, I'm not referring to myself, but to the organization, to Medical Network One, trying to receive a document that is really all encompassing from the behavioral health side and either having it sent over as a CCDA or anything, it's a real challenge. And I again have to credit the CDC and the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services for creating these pods of organizations, we call them the backbones of the community, to figure out how to enhance change, how to impact change by getting the right people to the table to start talking about that interoperability. And it doesn't have to be at the state level. It doesn't have to be at a regional level. It can be at a community level where there is a conversation about what if we did this? What if we started small? What is it that we should be looking at? And what else do we need to bring to the table to have that conversation? And I have to admit, COVID has been a terrible thing, but it has also allowed us to sit down and to start figuring out ways in which to be better partners, to be better collaborators, and to cooperate at a different level as well. Yeah, and one of the things that I keep hearing when, whenever I have these conversations about value-based care in any capacity, behavioral and physical health care integration or any other capacity, is about the partnership and the collaboration between stakeholders is difficult to nail. There's a lot there, but one of the things that you mentioned kind of early on was how a payer, specifically in this case, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, was essential to giving you the funding and the fuel to kind of go in this direction. When you think about the conversation between healthcare organizations and payers right now, what would you say to stakeholders who are trying to work through the complex conversations that are happening between healthcare organizations and payers about behavioral, physical healthcare integration right now? One of the areas that we have found to be very successful is the creation of regional learning collaboratives. Many of us went through the IHI training years ago. We learned about the chronic care model. We learned about the model for improvement. Many of the groups in Michigan would not be doing what they're doing had it not been with that type of training. And that also included what the American Academy of Family Physicians did with their performance enhancement forum. Sometimes we put education on the back burner because we want to talk about training. Well, there is a component to training, which is education, because you have to learn some of the activities and you have to learn some of those nuances that are not things you can just train on. And the learning collaboratives allowed many practices to get together to talk about what it was that they were doing, what the success stories were, what the failures were. So there was a lot of sharing of information and that sharing of information also did include data, but you can't share information without the human factor attached to it. I can hand you, I can hand you graphs, I can hand you slides, I can hand you a PowerPoint, but what is really powerful is when you have someone getting up and saying, this is what we have done, these are the people that have been impacted. This is why we continue to do this. And this is why you need to be a part of the solution, no matter what, it's that human factor. If we get away from including that human touch with everything that we're doing, we as an organization at Medical Network One truly are a failure. I have to listen. Mm -hmm. I have to be willing to listen and hear and act on what it is that you are telling me. And AI doesn't do that. I have to have this conversation. 
Excellent. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much more to talk about on this, but we only have a few minutes left here. And in that time, I did want to address, you know, in this season of healthcare strategies, we were trying to pull together how different sectors and how different conversations ultimately affect health equity. There are a lot of care disparities and there's also a lot of room for progress. And I'd love to hear how this conversation taps into that. So how can organizations as they're looking to fuse behavioral and physical health, how can they go about that process without creating more potential disparities? I think the first thing that really needs to be looked at is having the right people at the table to begin the planning process. Many times we try to do too much at one time and we try to reinvent the wheel. We should be working with organizations that have had a bit of success in creating that integrated model or that collaborative care model or that cooperative care model. Don't recreate something that's already there. Reach out to people that are doing it, number one. Number two, patients. And I'm not referring to the physical patient. I'm referring to us being patient and realizing that this does not happen overnight Mm -hmm. and acknowledging that along the way there may be small failures, but be willing to put the failures behind you and look forward as opposed to looking behind you. And as we're looking at health equity, there needs to be a really good mix of people around the table, whether it's in a community, an organization to have this discussion. I'm an immigrant. I came over and spoke no English. It took me years to go ahead and hone in on my linguistic capabilities and to always remind myself of what it was like for the first few years of coming to America. And when I talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I always touch on the aspect, the human aspect of the immigrant, the human aspect of those of different cultures and religions. They all need to be at the table and we shouldn't forget about them. And I think that's what makes organizations more powerful, more robust, because they're looking more inclusively as opposed to exclusively. So if anything, I would recommend when you're beginning the journey of creating that integrated model, pull in the right amount of people, pull in people from the community, address identities, and see what they bring to the table for that discussion. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Eva. This has been an excellent conversation. Thank you very much. Listeners, we would love to hear your insights on this topic as well. So if you have any thoughts that you'd like to share or any questions or topics that you think that we should cover in future episodes, please reach out to me at kwadill at intelligentmedia.com. That's K-W-A-D-D-I-L-L at intelligentmedia.com to share your thoughts. And also don't forget to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thanks for listening. This has been an Intelligent Healthcare Media production. 